Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and my Stockley Park mistake, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Hello, mate. That was a good one, wasn't it? I like that. I like that. I was quite, I was quite pleased with that one. Uh, and it leads us in quite nicely to talking about Chelsea. I mean, we don't really want to linger on this too much, because <laughs> it's ultimately quite depressing, but there were some talking points so let's cover off the football stuff first. Uh, firstly, a very interesting starting eleven, And when I say interesting, um, one that I, I immediately thought, OK, happy to see that midfield, but not happy with the back line, which included Vertonghen back in at centre-back on the left of a back three, and Jaffet Tanganga playing wide on the right in the back of a... I mean, it's a back five, really, wasn't it? He didn't really play a wing-back role, but he was certainly on the right where the ball got shuttled out to him plenty, and uh, that's not his game. Uh, Bardi, what was your reaction? when you saw the starting eleven, Yeah, I was a bit like you. I was, I was happy to see um, Ndombele and Lo Celso combined, but yeah, the, that back five, the back five was a mess. Vertonghen, you know, we, we've spoken at length about Vertonghen and the fact that Tanganga was, he, you know, he's done okay in full-back roles, but I, I, I really don't know what Mourinho was expecting of him. I, I guess it was just to sit and play five across the back, but it, it didn't quite work like that. So yeah, I was a bit disappointed by that. It, it, it did seem a bit negative, but then maybe he didn't trust Aurier um, in in that wing-back role, which was which is a shame because I think he might have done a little bit better than Tanganga there. Not that Tanganga had a bad game. I think Aurier was also very much overdue a break. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought Aurier was really poor in the last couple of games, but I'm willing to accept that his level has dropped because he is desperately in need of a rest. Same for Delhi, who was uh, on the bench. And the interesting thing, Nathan, before every match, you post your uh, sort of predicted team shapes or some suggested team shapes based on the lineups. I don't think you got this one right. I, it was I, a five-four-one, which was a real surprise. Yeah, I was um, I was really excited about the midfield three of Winks and Dombele and Lacelso, and couldn't think past it, and wasn't concerned about the defenders, and didn't consider the possibility that Lacelso would be playing sort of in off the wing, as it were. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I was I was really positive about the lineup up and I didn't I didn't click I wasn't in gear for like oh hang on we're playing five dedicated defenders yeah um so yeah man I don't know why do you think he played Lacelso on the right um 
just as a matter of so okay uh like you said it was a back five rather than a back three so if you're maintaining that sort of line of five then you need some width in the line in front so you don't really want to play a, a full five and then a full three you want a four to sort of spread out and then also um because you're like <laughs> dealing with an odd number and an even number you get to defend the space in between the spaces the the yeah. jesus this is not easy to explain <laughs> no i know what you, i know what you mean yeah you picture five lines on the pitch you're you're defending the spaces between those five exactly. lines rather than the five lines themselves exactly Bardi, sorry i cut in on you what you what were you going to say there mate no it's fine i yeah i think there was a there was a sentence nathan used there which i, I think explains it perfectly that <clears throat> it's the fact that they were all specialist defenders and that's mm. that's what really hurt us that even in in the wide positions if you compare how chelsea lined up with um reese reese james and um marcus alonso they're kind Murderer. of well, we should stop saying that because he scored three goals against us now. His goal-scoring record against Spurs is insane. Plus, he's got a load of assists. So I think maybe we should leave him alone and he maybe not get <laughs> so inspired. But yeah, they're, they're, they're fourth and fifth defender, for want of a better word. Mm. If you compare them to ours of um, Davies and Tanganga, it was, just, it was just completely different. And even though Mourinho talked a lot pre-game about matching up with Lampard, it, we didn't match them at all. I think... I think we would needed to have seen maybe a Cessignon and I know Aurier was tired, but yeah, a Cessignon and an Aurier and then maybe move Tanganga in for Vertonghen. That way we would have matched up against them a little bit better, perhaps. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree, Broadu, we'll with what you're saying there, Bards. Um, up front was Bergven, who I thought actually did some good things. Nathan, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I was I was really um not really happy because obviously you have to take the weight of the game into that, but I was I was much more impressed with Bergvein um than Lucas, for example. You know, immediately in, in the opening um sort of twenty minutes he did a great job of bringing others into play. He demonstrated a good first touch, awareness of his surroundings, awareness of his teammates, um understanding of time of how quickly you need to release the ball. Um I, he doesn't look so. I, I watched one of the two games he played up front for PSV uh, recently, and and so I got to see like a full ninety minutes of, of a team who possessed more of the ball and everything. And he definitely has moments where he looks uncomfortable in that role, where he you you can tell that he's not sort of accustomed to playing as the furthest forward player. Um, but he just has a more rounded skill set and sort of um, versatile abilities that allow him to, you know, for me, do a much better job there than Lucas was doing. Yeah, you're. you're I think what you lose by moving Bergvain inside is worth it because he's much better with his back to goal. He's got better awareness of players around him. He's got his head up, which is a, a big help. That's that's one of the issues with Lucas. He's incredibly yeah. good at dribbling with the ball, incredibly good. But the dribbles are often wasted because he doesn't get his head up, doesn't look at what he's dribbling towards and doesn't know who's around him. So if he gets through, which he often does because he's got really quick feet, sometimes he ends up like in an area that was is less useful than the area he started in, which is kind mm. of frustrating. Occasionally he'll do a bit of magic and he'll burst through in a box and, and get a shot away and, and maybe even score a goal but it seems kind of more luck than judgment Bergvain was much more sensible in possession he was trying to link up the issue is we didn't get enough players around him and one or two occasions that we did resulted in chances but ultimately we were very conservative with our play now Bardi do you think that was a mistake from Mourinho to be so defensive focused yeah, I think so. And but Chelsea's Chelsea's pressing, and in Jorginho Kovacic, 
they have two excellent central midfielders and then in Mount and Barkley they had two workhorses. I mean Mount that that little boy doesn't stop running. He's he's quite the intense presser and he, he the way he presses reminds me of how Ali used to press back in the day. It's that it, it's just incessant and yeah, we were unable to get the ball through midfield then Dombele they 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 handled him really well. They they learned from Southampton that you just take him out and I think the more he was being wiped out, you could see it was affecting him and his confidence and he, they they really broke him just by just by being hatchetmen on him constantly. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit worried about Ndombele, not not his talent levels, uh, but he just gets smashed into so often and his style of play encourages players to yeah. uh, put challenges in, so mm. naturally he's going to feel them. And he doesn't bounce back like someone like Moussa Dembele did. Nathan, yeah. are you concerned? Mm, not on that particular thing. So yeah, Dembele would sort of ride the foul out and not get the foul called as a result mm. and, and sort of play advantage for himself, as it were. Whereas Ndombele will just hit the deck every time. Um, I, I still... I like. I get how that can be annoying, especially when it's like you want to build some momentum against Chelsea. You want to sort of get things going and and get a get a foot on the game that way. And and when you do have the ball, you want to you know you want to flow. Um, so mm. I get how that can be frustrating, but I also think that there's there's a perfectly acceptable way of utilizing the sort of take the foul every time route and and just be you know optimize that more and accept that that's that's what's going to happen and 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 mm. make sure we find a way to use that's your advantage yeah and although he wasn't particularly great in this game you have to hope that the 60 minutes that he got into his legs will benefit him in the long term and hopefully he can kind of put a string of games together and become a mainstay because he's certainly one of the best players we have at the moment and we had a question from uh, Tom Wedge who says what's the least worst option for starting up front should Moura ever get a starting place again Bardi where do you stand now are you thinking Lucas are you thinking Delhi, or are you thinking Bergvain you know I know you Chris you know where I stand and you've kind of <laughs> You've kind of set me up, so so it sounds like oh, I'm now on your um, anti-Lucas trail, which <laughs> which I am. Yes, I'm completely with you. But um, Lucas is, you know, we're not utilizing his strengths, like you said, no. his his quick feet and everything else like that. He's playing far too deep, and he does nothing to help us in the build-up. If you if you think of like a conveyor belt, he's at the final end of it. He should never be further down um, towards the start because he's he's too unreliable. His touch and his vision and everything else. Um, um, as for where we go from here, I think it's got to be a com- combination of uh, Bergwijn, Delhi, and and Lamella playing those kind of forward roles. Um, I think Lucas needs to take a take a rest. I think he started every single game under Mourinho. He's he, as well as physically and probably mentally quite tired. He just needs to be taken out of the game for a while because he he keeps repeating the same things and repeating the same mistakes, and he's not producing goals or assists, and that's a huge problem for us. I think he's also a really effective option to bring on towards the end of games because he's got those quick feet. So against tired legs, that's the ideal time to kind of get the most from him. And I can see him scoring goals late in games that he wouldn't get at the start, for example. So I don't know. I, I can't see Mourinho doing it because he loves Lucas. He said he said at the very start of his um, Spurs tenure that he wanted to sign Lucas. And I think you're right that he's played certainly the majority of matches, if not all of them. Um, and I, I can't see him being removed from the team, but I think it's essential, to be honest. I, I don't want to go... T- too into too much detail about the goals we conceded and the rest of the match because it will just depress us. But I do think it's worth lingering briefly on the Lo Celso incident and Stockley Park admitting to their mistake because it it was certainly an interesting talking point. 
Firstly, do we all agree that it was a sending off? Bardi, did you did you think that was a clear red? Uh, I looked at it a few times. It's it's a red card, but at the, at the time I th- I thought there wasn't maybe there wasn't said he wasn't staring straight at the player and it wasn't a he knew what he was doing. He was he left his foot in and I th- I think a yellow card would have been sufficient. I don't think it was it was a proper kick out and a proper swing at him. How about you, Nathan? Uh, I don't think that it was deliberate. Uh, deliberate. <laughs> I um, I think that he's just trying to protect the ball, um, and he's not aware that Asper Equator is underneath him. I think that um, what we've seen in this particular incident is like a uh, yet again where the rules fall short or fall against common sense. I think that the video assistant referee has agreed with what I've said there. In fact, we, we know that because it's been re- reported today that that the uh, assistant referee um, saw it as an attempt to protect the ball, uh, an unawareness that Aspilicueta was underneath him, and that is why he has considered it a non-foul. Um, but that is not how the rule is written and intention doesn't actually matter. So I think it was a good call based on common sense and a bad call on how the rules are actually written. Mm. Mm. And therefore, the problem is the rules. Yeah, and I don't think VAR helped themselves by that statement and correct by saying they got it wrong. They should have just released a statement that they thought there was no intent and everything else and just gone with it. Why they needed, why they felt the need to, um, you know, it's like you, you get caught out for doing something bad. Your, your wife or your girlfriend finds that you've done something wrong and you're like, no, actually, I, I didn't do that, but I did this instead. It's just like you, you gain nothing. Just get, you've done it, it's done, go away and then forget about it. Are you trying to own up to something here, buddy? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I was um I was talking to some foreign friends of mine today about VAR and they said look the everyone else except for you English we like VAR the thing is that in England you have the best referees and the worst VAR that's what you hate yeah. it everywhere else it's the other way around mm, that's an interesting point and I've said many a time that I think it's dumbing down referee standards so I I think uh it probably was unintentional but I don't think it's very you, you can't easily tell that no you can't tell um but I think it's almost a relevant it was unintentional because it was very dangerous and uh yes accidents happen but i don't know i think there was a strong argument for a red card there the only thing is it looks so much worse slowed down so much worse in in um real speed real time i went back and i I rewound and actually it doesn't look that bad You, you sort of think i can see why this wasn't given the more it slowed down the more outrageous the decision becomes to look and then the sort of lampard's outrage added to it and then you get this correction come through we hear that he can't get a retrospective ban no and i think that's a good thing uh for the for the rules and obviously for spurs uh but it's it's left a very sort of awkward question mark over the implementation of the system again um yet another awkward question mark um if i was to be a pedantic dickhead about it i would say when you run you land with your full weight on your foot every time so if we were to remove intention completely isn't every single step dangerous play yeah but in that situation where you know when a player's on the ground and you challenge for the ball and you know there's a risk that you could catch them you can you can move out the way so whilst i don't think he went out to get him i think he could have avoided him if that makes sense even if I don't he's know. not aware that he's there Ugh, he was aware <laughs> So I, 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 I'm not saying he tried to hurt him. Uh, I think he could have done more. You think he's what, like trying to scare him off? I also think he is very spiteful. And don't get me wrong, a large part of me really likes that. He, he did 
he did try to have a few players after that as well. Like he did a That's couple true. of other challenges that I was I was slightly worried about after that incident. Uh, and it was like he's trying to make up the mistake. <laughs> he's Argentine. He's feisty. Uh, yeah, he's very was, uh, feisty. There was a hip high challenge on somebody, which was a little bit naughty as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's enough VAR chat. Mm. We had an email from Joe Gilby. Thank you, Joe, for your email. Uh, he talks about the low block strategy, and he's talking about the fact that it used to work as a strategy for Mourinho before teams pressed like they do now. So he's sort of saying the low block is outdated against pressing teams. Uh, and he also said, surely you've got enough attacking talent to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Chelsea. How do you feel about that statement, Nathan? Just that that final statement there at the end. Um, I I I, I sympathise with that view, and I also sympathise with um, the exact opposite, which is Mourinho sort of crying about the state of our injuries and the like. I I think that we are within the realm of Chelsea to at least challenge them more than we did. Um, so I, I definitely think you know both angles on that are valid. And what about the the statement about pressing? Yeah, the 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 low block is both outdone by high pressing and outdone by another low block. And Mourinho, you know, almost said exactly those words post match. Um, he said it specifically in relation to us being a goal down, uh, which is um, sort of an interesting criticism of Mourinho's dependence on manipulating game state. Right? This, yeah, this is yeah. this is what he's always done: is that he he uses the opposition's needs to attack in both a draw and a lose situation to 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 make the low block useful um but as soon as you go a goal down you know what what do you do so um yeah there's the criticism there is definitely valid um in terms of sort of not knowing how to move out of that situation um i would actually have gone further towards the defensive before the first goal I think that we should have drawn Chelsea further forwards we should have engaged them deeper we should have been more passive in the early stages um, and and really sort of done a Burnley on them I think that that is the best way to play against Chelsea but I also <laughs> conversely think that if Mourinho is serious about us because you know him developing into a manager who wants to play high line football possession football then that's something that you have to commit to on a weekly basis if you look at sort of Pochettino's first two three years we consistently lost against Liverpool and the like because we had this match after match after match commitment to how we were going to play because I think that's really important if you want to instill that mindset if you want to teach someone how to press high there are different goals in that and this is what I looked at recently in, in my video piece there are different goals in in pressing high and in and in being in a medium or a low block so if you want to instill those principles and those values you can't be also trying to learn the opposite at the same time mm. and I guess the really frustrating thing for this match in particular is that in the second half we showed once Chelsea had kind of worn themselves out a bit we showed that we could play a possession style and we played a possession style really quite effectively for the last sort of 20-25 minutes and people will look at that and say well there you go there's evidence that we could have done that from the very beginning why didn't we I don't know start Lamella uh, and, and start with a bit more intensity and try and play through midfield I would argue actually we were only able to do that once Chelsea had tied themselves out from the pressing style so Mourinho made a judgment call it wasn't an easy judgment call Chelsea uh, then have a relatively easy uh, method of playing against us because they know we can't push the ball forward early and high because we've got a, what, five foot nine striker. They know we can't play through midfield effectively because they're going to be pressing us like anything. I thought Mount and Barkley did a terrific job with their high energy pressing uh, with, as Bardi says, 
Jorginho and the quite phenomenal Kovacic behind them. So the option for Spurs is to pass it out to the fullbacks. And it, time and again, it got shuttled out wide to Tanganga and Davis. And Tanganga was incapable of pressing the ball up the line because that's not his skill set. And Davis was incredibly wasteful in possession where he was just essentially ending up chipping the ball forward. So they kind of had us where they wanted us. Uh, it's not easy to find solutions when you've got such restricted squad options. Uh, Bardi, how do you feel? Do you feel like we could have tried to match Chelsea a bit more? Yeah, I, I think you made a really interesting point on Davies. He was really wasteful. He gave the ball away 25 times in that match, which was wow. more than... I'm, I'm surprised it was that many, but uh, he was very poor. Yeah, more than anyone else on the pitch. 54% pass accuracy. Uh, accuracy Only, only Caballero got worse than that. And that wow. was part of the problem, that we constantly fell into their passing, their pressing traps. We went wide to the wing backs and from then it just ended up into a kind of punt forwards where, where of course we've got no one to um, no one to receive it long. But I think there's also a weakness there that um, the pass back into central midfield wasn't on either because of Mount was watching Winks. Uh, Le Celso was kind of miles away from Davies so he couldn't come and receive it and Endombele wasn't, wasn't there either. So there's, there's huge problems with Spurs. Uh, but I think fundamentally our, our problem is we're constantly having to play two ways each game. So we have two fo- we have two tactics. We do the low block for 50, 60 minutes, see how we are. And then we start to play a bit more like us for the final half hour, which I think is down to the fact that we don't have players who can play one, one way for 90 minutes. If you look at the players that we brought on, Delhi's knackered, Lamella, you know, when you're relying on Lamella, who's the most injury prone player that I can remember since, hmm. since Anderton, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. He's almost become our least injured player, which is which is weird, you know, if you when you think he, he's always been in the treatment room. Yeah, we should try and talk positive briefly. Uh, so mm. we asked if we if anyone had any positive questions, and Paul Sandy responded with this: "How pleased are you with the development of Sanchez in terms of positional awareness and starting position?" Bardi, I know you're a big fan, so mm. wax lyrical about Davinson. Occasionally, somebody I back has to come good, you know. Yeah. Some, yeah, one of my Stop horses clock, has to win. Stop clock, etc, etc. Yeah, one of my horses has to win. And if it had to, you know, it, it, because it did become a Foy versus Sanchez thing with a lot of people with me. But it, 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 was, it was never that it, at it all. It didn't need to be. It didn't need to be, did it? Because we've got both of them and they're both good young prospects. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I'm delighted with Sanchez. He's highly reliable. I think him and Tanganga, I would like to see those two either playing as a two or a three. Mm. I think I think Alderweireld has been found out a few times and the way that him and Vertonghen were stripped for pace by Giroud is it's a huge warning I think um I think Alderweireld of course he has a future he signed a new contract but I, I don't know if he's going to work in a two from now on he might be as a central um central defender in a three I, and then with Sanchez and Tanganga with the legs either side of him that's something that I that I would like to see but Sanchez is um the way he's grown is has been terrific terrific he, had, he has a he has still his occasional wobbly game where he, he gets bullied a bit but no, I'm very happy with him. How about you, Nathan? Are you feeling uh, more positive about Sanchez's performance? What was the cup game recently where he dropped an absolute shocker? Who was that? Against? It was uh, Middles- Middlesbrough, it was Middlesbrough up, yeah. up against their massive striker. Gave him, gave him all kinds yeah, of Yeah, he, he often... So I think that... So he came, uh, obviously, to Columbia and then Eredivisie. And I think that like he's such like an athletic specimen that he's always had the upper hand against whoever mm. he's playing against. So, um, yeah, he's just been able to bully his way to like high-level football 
football and I think that only now we see him in the Premier League occasionally come against, come up against people who are either faster or stronger than him and he sort of doesn't know how to because um, he doesn't have the advantage he doesn't know how to play as the smaller or the slower man so I think that's where he sometimes has his trouble but hey he certainly has improved since that Middlesbrough game so I'm pretty happy on mm. that front yeah and in many ways he has become the most reliable centre-back I, I take Bardi's point about Adebarel because he's dipped in form somewhat um I still think he's I still think he's a, a, a player that needs to start every game for us purely for his organizational and leadership qualities and his ability to pass the ball from the back but I do take the point that he's dropping off in terms of his quality I, I don't think many people would argue that he is where he was uh two years ago in terms of overall performance level that's that's certainly clear uh god I just turned the positive question into a negative <laughs> Talking point two is Troy Parrott. We had a whole list of questions about Troy from Doug Keith, Will Coys, Tree Mace, Richard Joyce and Tim Hopkin. Uh, I've got some views on Parrot. Go on. But basically, the, the the question seems to be essentially, why isn't Parrot playing? Why is he not ready? What are the risks in playing him? How bad must he be to have not got performances, uh, appearances by now? Shall I start? Do it. I was convinced originally that Mourinho was being overcautious about Troy Parrott's non-inclusion, that he thought he wasn't up to it as a Premier League striker, that he couldn't cope physically at this point, that essentially he'd not had enough football at any other level, which is kind of partly his fault because he's he's taken him out of the under-23s to put him in the first-team squad. I've changed my opinion now. I think it's very clear that Mourinho was talking in a very thinly-veiled way which started off a bit more thickly veiled about Troy Parrott's mentality and mm-hmm. uh, a dedication to becoming a top level footballer. And I'm, I'm not one to drop ITK, but I had definitely heard murmurings that he needs a, a role model and that Spurs have attempted to bring in people to have conversations with Parrot about how he should handle himself off the pitch. We've also seen, well, there's a viral video of Troy Parrott essentially putting his cock and balls in the face of there's no other way to say it putting his cock and balls in the face of a teammate when he was a 16 year old which um at the very least isn't great even if it's team banter and the very worst is a lot more serious than that yeah and uh he's also been pictured 
during the winter break in Dubai with Delhi and a close friend of his who is the son of a known drug trafficker in Ireland. Um, not that that's necessarily a problem. I, who am I to judge who he should be friends with? But it, the point is that this guy that he's hanging out with seems to want to be like a hanger-on of celebrities and likes to just Instagram all pi- all the pictures in the world of him and famous people. Look, I'm not saying that that's not a genuine friendship necessarily. I've got no idea, but it's not the best image for him to be putting out. And whilst I agreed initially that he could have a he should have a week off with the rest of the players and have some time to relax and let his hair down and you know enjoy the winter break, part of me then sort of thinks back to what Harry Kane would have done during that same period, and he wouldn't have done that. He would have been well, he'd have probably stayed at home and been on the golf course most days, but spending uh-huh. the days uh, working on his finishing because he was an absolutely dedicated professional. Now, I'm aware that this is slightly hypocritical, because when Marcus Edwards was getting criticism about his attitude, in inverted commas, uh, I was very protective of him and said, you know, he's a teenager, let's let him be a teenager. Uh, But I'm also aware that if Marcus Edwards was doing these things that (laughs) Parrot's doing, can you imagine the uproar? It would have been messy and people would have said, get him out of our club. Obviously, uh, Parrot is a huge talent. He's a huge, exciting talent and hope for the future of Tottenham Hotspur. And if if things go well, um, he should be a, a star striker for us in the future. And I think what Mourinho is doing at this point is sending a message to him about being more professional and being ready to take his chance. I've rambled on. What do you think, Bardi? Yeah, I think um, I think Parrot needs to realise what this situation is, that he's got an opportunity to play Champions League football. Huge opportunity. Yeah, at 18 years old, to be to be a regular starter from now until the end of the season. What it, This doesn't happen to a teenager. This doesn't happen to many... A lot of strikers haven't come to Tottenham because they never wanted to play second fiddle to Harry Kane. Now, all of a sudden, the, the position's open. And, you know, this is this is his moment to actually stand up and show something and then move on from here. And, he, yeah, he through bad choices, whatever's happened, doesn't seem to have happened. And he's disappointed Mourinho. And Mourinho ultimately makes the decisions. And whatever he's done has not pleased his manager. And that's the reason why he's, he's not getting game time or even being uh, featured on the bench at the moment. And how about you, Nathan? What are your overall thoughts on this? Yeah, I've 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 taken a sort of a similar path um, with what you've gone through. I, he is ready physically. He is ready in terms of talent, but it definitely I I I come round to the idea that he isn't ready in terms of maturity and mentality. So yeah, you know, like Buddy says, there's a big opportunity here for him. Um, look, I get it. Like when I was 18, I was like drunk in a park three times a week, and I failed my A levels. So like, I'm not one to speak. I'm certainly, you know, not as far to say get it together, young man, but it's like um, his team needs him and there's an opportunity. So let's do it. I mean, if if it's if we're revealing what we were like at 18, <laughs> uh, I had to be showered down by my mother and father uh, because I was just <laughs> covered, covered in my own vomit. Uh, so, you know, Parrot is far, le- you know, he, he's handling himself better than we did, Nate. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um I hope it works out for him. I really hope it works out for him. I hope he can convince Mourinho that he has what it takes. And I think in some ways you need a manager to take a chance on a player and kind of give him the olive branch and, and say, I'm going to give you this opportunity. Yeah. 
But what I want back from you is to show me that you are a committed professional when they meet in the middle and they meet halfway. What's upset me a little bit is that he hasn't even been on the bench because even if he's behaving like a complete dickhead off the pitch, which is possible, we need him. We need yeah, someone we who can play up front. We and do. he's he's a very good young player and he could certainly do a better job than Lucas Moura right now. He's a fascist. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the other thing. No <laughs> one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. Um, certainly Mourinho seems to be a bit hard line around behavior, off-pitch behaviours. Uh, we, we can say that from the fact that we, you, you can see that Danny Rose has been sent away from the club. Deli Ali, ever since that um, in, that Snapchat thing, uh, has sort of been yeah. sidelined. It might be in relation to that. Who knows? So maybe maybe he's just a real strict guy and wants players to behave impeccably off the pitch. Um, let's hope it's let's hope it sorts itself out. Uh, Tottenham Tim, who is Tim underscore Ojin on Twitter, says, "Do we miss Sissoko? Buddy, Sissoko is due back relatively soon. Mourinho's been saying that's another solution for the team." Have you missed Sissoko? You know, when a player has a long-term injury, we always we always forget the the bad side. We we only think of the the, the good side. So the the longer a player is injured, the better they become. But I I do actually think we miss Sissoko in the in that weird kind of gut busting movement of somebody getting beyond uh, our strikers, well our, our lack of strikers. So um, I don't think we miss him in terms of keeping possession or anything else like that. But he's he's an, another body and he has a bit of um, tenacity and a bit of bit of oomph about him where at the moment we seem a little bit flat in midfield and you Nathan <laughs> I do not personally miss Isoko that much but you know more bodies <laughs> is more bodies um it's a hell of an injury turnaround if he's coming back soon that's um that's impressive but I guess you know he's a he's an outlier isn't he mm. I think when he comes back I would like to see him play on the right of a front, front three or as a sub but nowhere else um and actually him <laughs> him being an option on the right of a front three yeah. will be genuinely quite useful now. Stevie B seems to be primed for a striker role. Hmm. I mean, he's not going to solve our goal scoring problems, but um, he he will enable us to press a bit. You know, he's definitely That's got true. that. He's definitely That's got, true. and he could be a kind of um, a foil for Ndombele while he's getting while he's trying to work himself back. So, you know, so I I think it's definitely a good thing that he's coming back. I mean, he is Meccano. I remember when he he pulled his hamstring. I think it was maybe against United or somebody at Wembley and when a player goes down with a hamstring that's kind of that's them done but he had a little bit of ice a little bit of spray and they strapped a new one into his leg and he was off again <laughs> so we've got a few more questions to rattle through before we uh, before we leave you uh, I'll start off with a shout out for Andres Loftager uh, we've not we've actually almost pretty much covered his question on Alderweireld already so we'll skip that one but um, thanks for the question Andres uh, Greg Jenner says does Foyth have, have a future at the club we've spoken a bit about Foyth already in terms of Davinson Sanchez but I mean he, he's been injured himself I wrote in a blog at the weekend that perhaps he would have been a useful player to play uh, right back this week if we really wanted to rest Aurier what do you think Bardi do you think Foyth has a future no I think he's done Wow. How about you, Nathan? <laughs> I wasn't aware that he was injured this whole time. Uh, my figure not on the post on that one. I thought that he was just not being chosen. It's quite a recent injury, to be fair. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, so he hasn't been chosen and then he's got injured. Okay, uh, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I happen to know that we were definitely trying to move him on in, in January. Wow. Such a shame, but... 
you know. Yeah. Not, Mourinho's not going to like every player, and that's that's fine. Uh, he'll Daniel go on to Platt. have a yeah. He'll go on to have a great career at, um, at Sampdoria or something <laughs> like that. We'll we'll regret selling for if, if we sell him. Definitely. Uh, Daniel Platt says, "Can you guys recall any other high-profile fitness turnarounds or adaptations to the Premier League after having a tough first year? Looking for some hope on Ndombele. Uh Nathan, you've come up with a few. Yeah. So just within our squad, I think Sun Hyung Min took a good year to settle in. I think that physically, Lo Celso has taken half a season to sort of get up to ready. And then if you're looking like even more long term, um, Arjun Robin for me is is a huge example of a player who like really, really suffered with injury problems for a long, long time, and then sort of like in his late twenties, early thirties, sort of got it together physically and and quickly became one of the very best players in the world for a few seasons. Um, he's a motivation to me as someone who's just constantly suffering with one injury after another. <laughs> I've come up with some others. So Etienne Capoue, when he first came to Spurs, was a bit of a lump and couldn't cope with the, the pace of the game, uh, but now looks a very accomplished player for Watford and pretty much plays every minute of every game, I believe. Uh, so I would say he's he's one to look towards. But also Fred of United, who, when I watched him play his first Premier League game, I made a joke on Twitter that got about a 1,000 likes about how terrible he was. He's actually really good now and uh, looks sharp and he covers ground well and he's press resistant. And I sort of think maybe that's the guy we could look towards as an Ndombele comparison to give us a bit of hope. And Naby Keita as well has been in and out of the uh, Liverpool team with severe injury issues. Why are you chuckling? Because <laughs> he's in the England team. <laughs> <sighs> oh, sorry. Uh, he's been in and out of the Liverpool team um, with niggling injuries, but we know he's an excellent player and, and he's someone that I suspect will yeah. come very good at some point. So kind of keep your eye on that one. But it's it's not an uncommon thing. It, it just it happens regularly and it's partly to do with the pace of the game. It's partly to do with how physical physical the game is compared to a lot of European football where referees protect players a lot more yeah uh all these things have have an impact so I don't think I mean I am nervous about Ndombele I must admit but I don't think we need to panic yet I, I think uh th- there is some hope there uh Guy Shelton says oh you just you just skipped <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry Bards I was I was going to come up with two kind of early early left field ones like Kanu his um, his heart virtually broke and um, <laughs> they fixed his heart and he came back and had a great career and uh, Roberto yeah Roberto Baggio he did his ACL they thought he'd never play before he went to Fiorentina and he found Buddhism and fixed himself and be- went on to become one of the best players the world's ever seen so maybe um, Endombele should become a Buddhist <laughs> shock it you mentioned an Italian <laughs> uh, Guy Shelton says Joe they said he has spent his time away from management developing a new strategy and philosophy was this a lie to impress levy so he could get the gig <laughs> Barney, what do you think was was jose lying i think he's got one hell of a powerpoint slide deck <laughs> in his armory and he probably did some impressive things but i i, I said after the game on saturday that i'm, I'm giving um I'm, I'm giving the jose the a time to, until the summer to see what happens with him yeah, I mean, I'm willing to say next Christmas because he needs another win. He, the, this season's a write-off. He's he's trying to do the impossible with the squad we've got right now with the injury situation. He needs a window where he can buy his own players, develop a, a proper philosophy in pre-season, and then, we'll, then we can judge him. What do you think, Nathan? I don't think he lied. I, I understand anyone who gets the impression it was a lie, but I, I think there are enough signs that he's trying to build something that he hasn't built before um, and, and approaching the game differently. Not so much in the last two games, fair enough, and, and there are issues with being sort of reactive in the middle. Um, 
but I, I think that he's he wants us to play a high line and he wants us to have the ball. It's just going to be very, very difficult. So that's the real question. Can he do it? Not does he want to. Nice. And we're going to end with a change of pace. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> that was that was an alarm. My phone's telling me. My that wasn't me. that wasn't um, part of your part of your segment. <laughs> no, I thought it was. I thought that was a change yeah. of pace alarm. Windows put his own soundboard along. Oh, I wish I wish I was that forward thinking. No, my, that's me telling me that's that's me telling me the oven. Uh, that's the oven timer. The din- my dinner's ready. Okay, um, I thought this was something you'd introduce that whenever you were going to do something a bit left field. You were I mean, I certainly person. could do that from now on. Uh, so scuffed like shit says best memory you have at White Hart Lane that wasn't happening on the pitch. Nathan, does anything come to mind? <laughs> Not immediately. I really like this question. Uh, I put this in because I thought it was a really sweet question, but I haven't thought of a particularly good one myself. I don't know. So I, I, Brendan uh, took me to a game recently. Uh, he's over from the States and it was really nice to meet him. Obviously, I bumped into you at games before. I've met uh, Bardi at games before. Um, gone down the pub after and all of that stuff is great. I don't have a specific individual memory. Um, I just thought it was a really sweet question. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, I mean, I can talk... I mean, I, my memory is so bad that I find it really hard to sort of pinpoint anything very specific these days. I, I think I drank too much when I was younger and it's destroyed my memory forever. But I've got sort of more general memories of going with my family um, to watch matches. We we would go, the four of us would go, so mum, dad, me and my sister, and we'd have a very sort of similar routine for every match. We'd generally park at the Irish Centre. Uh, we walk up to the ground quite early. We would always get a burger from what who I came to the guy that I came to know as the Colonel. Uh, many people will know who I'm talking about when I say that. He was kind of mm-hmm. famous, uh, he, the sort of corner of uh, the Paxton yep. Paxton Road end. Uh, I loved it because my dad would go and order the burgers and he would always call my dad Colonel. It turns out he pretty much called everyone Colonel, but I just loved <laughs> I just loved the fact that he called my dad Colonel. Um, my dad's definitely not Colonel. Um, so we'd, we'd have our burgers and we'd go and get a programme. We'd get into the ground nice and early. We'd sort of take in the sights and watch the players warm up. And I just remember it always being sunny and the grass being so green and pristine. And the the noise that the seats made when you got off your feet to watch, I don't know, Rule Fox or Matthew Etherington make a dart down the wing. I just have such happy memories of that. And then quite often, one of our memories of travelling home from... White Hart Lane uh, around Christmas time is that when when the the nights drew in and it got a bit darker, uh, you'd have these kind of really garish Christmas lights around the ground and and on the on my route home, and we would do like a family game of who could spot the worst Christmas Christmas <laughs> lights, and I loved it. It was great. It was like the perfect ending to watching Spurs. Buddy, how about you? Um, I think I think probably my first game I saw White Hart Lane was when we played Sheffield Wednesday in '94 when Klingsman scored that wonder goal, and I just remember being taken to the stadium and walking in and thinking it was the biggest thing I'd ever yeah. seen in my life. I I mean I'd been to Wembley a few times for Charity Shields and stuff like that, but I'd never been to um I'd never been to Spurs before, and it was just it was the biggest thing I ever saw, and I just remember the crowd being crazy and passionate. And if you look back on it, look back at the game now on YouTube half the stands are empty it's insane you know and there's also non-football related the first time I went into the new stadium when I did the t- I was part of the kind of tour thing that went to see it while they were still building it 
And then probably when me and my mate Sasha, we went to our, our first kind of football matches, like we thought we were adults in 99, <laughs> like without any family members. We oh, went, yeah. Nice. You know, we, we got there early. We didn't know where to go, where to pick up our tickets or anything. And we went to watch um, Spurs against FC Zimbru in the... Um, in the UEFA Cup, we won three nil, and I think um, I think we even I even saw Tim Sherwood score a goal for Tottenham. And on that note, on that happy happy note, we leave you. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out; he's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.